Welcome to Namina's Mental Health Mavens. I am your host, Joanne, and every Sunday we bring you mental health and addictions experts on a variety of topics, including evidence-based therapies. Guest opinions are their own, and some content may be triggering. Our mission here and on our Nomina Wellness YouTube channel is to make exceptional mental health support accessible to everyone. So make sure to subscribe, give us that five stars, and maybe even share with a friend. So let's get to it. This is episode five of Mental Health Mavens, and today we're talking to Victoria Diltz, or as we like to call her, Tori. She is a clinical counselor at our St. Catherine's Nomina Integrated Health Clinic, and today we're going to be talking about gentle parenting. So welcome, Tori. Tori, would you like to give us an introduction to gentle parenting? I am so curious because my kids are grown adults now and I'm going to be a better grandparent than I ever was a parent. So gentle parenting, gentle parenting is an approach to parenting that has been super big as of late. Um, So I've noticed it a lot on social media, whether it be Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok, especially there's a lot of really awesome content creators that are putting out a lot of the really important tenets that kind of fall into gentle parenting. Um, And with that, you know, really the focus is open communication with our children, whether it be a year old or 18 years old, um, it's pretty broad in that sense. Um, So open communication, really clear set boundaries, um, a set of expectations and the consequences that go with them, as well as, you know, being supportive and also modeling really healthy behavior. Um, It's a really interesting kind of difficulty, I guess, or challenge, I would say, with gentle parenting is that as much as we focus on what we do for our children, how we react to them, a lot of the onus actually falls back on us as a parent. Uh, And a lot of the important parts of gentle parenting are actually based in our own ability to regulate our emotions and model that for our children. (laughs) So one of the things I always find funny when parents come in and are asking about how to deal with their children when they're having challenges and, you know, they bring up gentle parenting, um, one, I either get the argument that it's, oh, that's permissive parenting. I don't do that. Um, or they don't realize how much it's really not about what the kid's doing. It's about how we react to what our children are doing. Um, so it's a really exciting topic. And I find it extremely um, interesting, fascinating how different people kind of find it and then also how they work it into their lifestyle. But also as a new parent myself, um, I'm kind of living through some of the challenges that I am talking about with my clients, which is super exciting (laughs) because then I have firsthand (laughs) experience with like the, oh, that didn't work or, oh, this does work. Um, And so, you know, as a whole, um, parenting is really based on kind of answering the needs of our children, right? So they have, you know, ultimately it comes down to looking for safety or avoiding danger or having a need meant, whether that's hunger, sleep, you know, if they're in diapers, going, getting a diaper changed um, and any kind of connection that they're kind of missing. So that gentle parenting is really there to kind of um, facilitate meeting those needs in a way that's kind of robust for our children, but also really healthy for us. Hmm. <laughs> I, you know, I, I was quite young when I had my babies and nice. I didn't necessarily model, um, good relationship skills. And my, my ex-husband and I ended up divorced. We're, we're friends now, but it was not good yeah. back then. 
So I've sat down and talked to my son about, you know, I didn't model the best behavior for you, that, that that's not what a healthy relationship looks like. And here's what it does look like. And is that what you mean by modeling that kind of behavior? Yeah. So even that conversation that you just told me about having with your son, um, it's really important to do those types of things, but yes. Um, and, and the beauty, the beauty of children is that they're ridiculously resilient, right? So even though, um, we can look back and be like, oh my gosh, I messed up so many times. You're not going to like ruin is one of those words that people use often where you're, you're not going to ruin your child or their life based on a few situations that happened. Right. Um, oftentimes there's a lot that kind of balances out some of those challenges that we have in life, whether they're interpersonal relationships or situations that they've been through. Right. So right off the bat, I always like to say that too, because people get really nervous about the, oh my God, I, I did this. And now my kid's going to be, you know, a mess. And that's not at all. Um, what I mean by that, but you are right in the sense that open communication, that modeling, that modeling behavior is really important. Um, and often when we look at gentle parenting, it's more about regulating our own emotions in really heightened situations. So, um, I think anybody who has had a child has been through the terrible twos and it's just full of tantrums. Right. And I know that it's the terrible twos, but it seems to last forever. (laughs) Um, but those tantrums, uh, are generally just really big feelings that our child doesn't know how to regulate themselves. Right. Um, what often happens though, is that we fall into the, we take it personally as parent kind of category, right? They're acting this way because they're mad at me or because I did something or it's my fault. Um, which is usually not at all the case. It's generally, they have some kind of big feeling or big emotion that they're feeling, um, that they don't understand, they don't know how to deal with, they can't communicate. And so it just comes out in really big behavior. Um, and so with the modeling um, in those situations, having ourselves regulated. So making sure we don't kind of rise to that level, which is very difficult. <laughs> I know <laughs> I say that and I have a two-year-old, so I know how tough it is sometimes when they're having a complete meltdown over something and you're just, you can feel your blood pressure rising. Right. Um, but the really important thing there is to show that regulation, how to take deep breaths, how to, you know, name that emotion that they're having. Um, I always like to use the term name it to tame it. Right. So, um, finding a way to help communicate what that emotion is. And I mean, let's be real. When you look at a two-year-old who's having a meltdown because you told them they can't jump off the couch because you're worried it's, they're going to hurt themselves. When you say to them, you know, I know you're really upset that mommy doesn't let you jump off the couch, but you know, she's worried you might hurt yourself. They're not going to really understand hundred percent what you're saying, but over time they start to gain that understanding and they understand what that regulation looks like in that emotion, right? So they're really feeling big. You're staying nice and calm and then they can meet you sort of in the middle. Okay. That makes sense. I do remember (laughs) one time completely losing my cool with my children and turning around and screeching at them and they all stopped and stared at me. (laughs) And then they started laughing because I guess my face contorted and went all red and I just, Oh, yeah. I a valuable lesson. Just keep your powder dry, breathe, you know, and, yeah. and they do, they pick that up and they learn that. They that, do. Okay. Breathe when I'm upset. Yeah. And it, it's so important to remember too, that like, we're all human. I like, this is something I'm very passionate about. I often teach tenants of gentle parenting in um, sessions with parents and I still do that. So, um, I think in one of the earlier sessions that you did um, with Samantha, she talked briefly on like flipping your lid, the idea of flipping your lid. Um, 
it's the same thing in parenting, right? We get frustrated, gets to a point where we can not, we no longer using, we're no longer using our logical brain, right? So we're just running strictly on emotion. So that's when we have really flipped our lid and that um, limbic system in our brain is just fully in charge. (laughs) And that's often when we yell, we scream, we slam doors, right? Um, It's pretty, it's pretty universal for, um, behavior in general for people to have those kinds of reactions when we get those heightened emotions. Um, I've done it, you know, like changing a diaper, you can only get kicked in the chest so many times trying to do up the Velcro before you're like, just stop moving. Right? <laughs> um, but you know, the flip side of that is you guys laughed, you connected in a way that was helpful um, and meaningful. And you probably had some kind of communication about, okay, I'm sorry, I lost my cool you guys are really making me upset because you're doing this, this, and this. And then the behavior changed, right? That's a perfect example of modeling. You, you did, you flipped your lid. That's okay. You're human, right? We have to try to validate those feelings in our children as well. Right. Um, So you validated your own feelings. You kind of justified and, and explained to them how you were feeling, but then you also kind of apologized for that behavior. Right. And then you guys reconnected. And that's what's really important in those situations because you're teaching them how to react when they get into those situations, right? It's okay to lose your goal sometimes, but this is how we kind of move forward from that. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about what worked, what didn't, why it happened. And then we're going to try to come up with a plan to avoid that from happening again, right? It's going to, it's going to happen again. Absolutely. But it's, you know, trying to minimize the amount of times that that happens, right? Or trying to intervene before it gets to the super high point where you might be slamming a door or yelling um, to where you're still really frustrated, but you're able to. That makes perfect sense. We've talked about modeling and communication, but what I'm interested in is boundaries (laughs) and consequences. Yeah. It's the million dollar question, right? It's, It's one of those things where most people in life, adults, you know, struggle with boundaries. So, you know, how do you set that up properly with your child? Um, So they're difficult, right? Um, It's riding a fine line between being permissive and just kind of letting them do whatever they want and also being really strict where they start to push back, right? And I mean, you're going to get pushback. There's going to be pushback. These are little people who are trying to find their way in the world and find where they fit and push boundaries. That's going to happen. So I actually like to use an example when I talk about boundaries, because I find sometimes it's a little more concrete and better to understand or easier to understand. So I always use the example of um, firm boundaries when we're talking about, you know, a young child at the park. Everybody's seen a young kid at a park. Everybody's seen a young kid leaving the park with their parent and having a complete meltdown because they did not want to leave the park. Right. Um, So, you know, you get, you get, all kinds of different reactions from the parent. You get, you know, yelling, you get complete, just ignoring what's happening. Um, you get like the parent dragging them away and I'm not criticizing any of those, right? You got to do what you got to do some days. That's just how you get to the next part in your day. Right. Um, but ideally what you would want to do is actually do a bunch of setup before to kind of set your child up for success in those situations. So when you arrive at the park, you generally, most people have like a timeline. We can be here for half an hour. So let's say you need to leave at 4.30 because um, you need to get home and make dinner for everyone. So you tell your child, 
And again, this is one of those things where it can feel ridiculous when you're telling a two-year-old we need to leave at 4.30 when they have no idea or concept of time. That's okay. It's all about practice and kind of building those skills over time, right? Um, So you say, okay, we're going to leave at 4.30. And so maybe at 4.20, you're going to say, okay, we've got 10 minutes left. And then at 4.25, you're going to want to set up like a timer, right? So this is one of those things that you can do to kind of help yourself with those boundaries and keeping them firm. Um, So you're going to set up a five-minute timer. The really important thing, though, is you want to try to include the child in that. So you let them help you with the phone. Um, if they can, if they can set up the time, right? Um, like my little guy, I often let him push start and then quickly move the phone away so he doesn't push a hundred other buttons at the same time. <laughs> but generally you want them to, to kind of have a little control, right? Um, one of the things that children struggle with the most, um, especially when it comes to boundaries, is feeling like they're not in control of their life, right? Um, and that gets worse as they get, well, it, I shouldn't say worse. That gets more challenging for them as they get older because they want more and more autonomy in their life and they want more and more control in their life. So this is just a little way to kind of give them that control. So they push start on the timer. So they go off, they play for five more minutes. The timer goes off. Um, I mean, you can turn it off if you want. Sometimes it's nice if you can let them turn it off too. I just find, again, it's that little bit of little piece of control, right? Um, in an ideal world, you're like, okay, five minutes is up. Good job. Let's go. You pick up your bags and you walk to the car. Probably not going to happen most of the time. So, you know, when that happens, this is where that boundary comes in and where you can easily fall into that permissive parenting, but we want to try to avoid that. So, you know, they cry because they don't want to leave. You know, sometimes parents are like, okay, five more minutes, right? We're edging on permissive there, right? They're suddenly getting what they want based on the reaction that they gave you. Okay, so if you want to stay firm to that or what we want to do is stay firm to that boundary. And so we would do that by saying, you know, validating their feelings. I know you're really upset that we have to leave. I get it. It's sad. And you might be angry at mommy that we're leaving. But that was the deal. Right. We're leaving at 430. Um, You had your five minute warning. You got to do the timer. So now we're going to go, you know, again, ideally, they're like, okay, and they leave. Chances are probably not what's going to happen and that's okay, right? Um, And so at that point, you would just continue moving on with the rest of the day, right? You would, okay, you're going to scoop them up and they may be crying in your arms and there may be some flailing, right? That's going to happen. I don't think I know any parent who judges another parent for that happening because we all experience it. (laughs) Um, And then you get them, you know, you get them to the car. Um, And then a really, a really um, helpful kind of tool in that point too, that again, falls into that, um, gentle parenting um, umbrella is that you want to then give them a choice. So I shy away from using the word distract because you're not really distracting them in this moment. Um, but what you want to do is give them a choice of what the next step in their day kind of is, right? So if we're heading home to make dinner, um, maybe the routine where you make dinner is they get to watch TV. So you, you're getting them in the car, they're still really upset, and you say, okay, um, when we get home, mommy's going to turn on the TV. Do you want to watch Peppa Pig or do you want to watch Paw Patrol or whatever their favorite TV shows are, right? Um, so in that way, you're kind of handing back that control, that little piece of control that they can have in their day for the next step in what's going on. And oftentimes we find that when we do that, when we can give them the control where, where they can have it, um, we'll see a, a decline in the resistance and those um difficulties with transitions. Um, And so that, I hope, is a good example as to why 
keeping those boundaries firm is really important. Um, so again, keeping those boundaries firm, it really does fall on the parent. Um, so, you know, sometimes we have to work on ourselves a little bit in those moments because often we want to kind of give in, right? Because we don't want to, we don't want them having that meltdown or we don't want them to cry. So, yeah, yeah. And sometimes giving in can just be easier when you're working full time and you got the other kids and I've been there. Boundaries was one of the hardest things that I had to struggle with. Yeah. And I still do. Does this work on adult children? Um, <laughs> You can try. You can certainly try. Uh, I think it gets a little more tough as they get older, for yeah. sure, like for sure. But um, I mean, the idea of setting a boundary and staying to it is a very un- like a very universal um, concept, right? And where a lot of people do struggle with those on a daily basis, right? Um, that idea of setting a boundary with a friend or a boss, right? How easy? How often do we talk to people where um, they have a boss? where their job is nine to five, but, you know, this expectation to stay an extra hour or, you know, there's extra work that they do because they don't know how to set and keep those healthy boundaries. Oftentimes we worry about what other people are going to think. Oh, they're, you know, um, they're going to judge me for making this decision or they're going to punish me for making this decision when really it's, it's for your own mental health, right? It's for your own benefit. Um, but it's difficult in those moments to, to, to try to stay firm with them, right? It's well, ideal. I, I am not fantastic at them either, right? <laughs> it's one of those things where we can talk about it, but it takes a lot of practice and a lot of commitment to kind of stick to those difficult, challenging um, boundaries when it comes to that, right? Um, I remember one I had when I was, um, when I first had my son, I really didn't want, well, it helped that there was a pandemic at the same time, but <laughs> In the beginning, we wanted a lot of time with Jess, like my husband and I, and I had a really hard time setting that boundary with my family, Um, even just mentioning it. And they were completely respectful, completely understanding. But it's one of those really difficult things that, you know, even making that step to to create that boundary can be difficult, right? Um, Now, it's more difficult, I think, sometimes for adults in adult situations, um, because with kids, there's a little less pushback. Um, when they're younger, when they're older, again, that's where you're getting into those. Yeah. Does it work for adults? Mm, questionable. <laughs> okay. And consequences. I like this yes. one too, because that's one of the areas that I struggled with in parenting is yeah. I, I didn't hold my, all my consequences necessarily. Cause again, the fight, I just didn't have the fight in me a lot of the time. Yeah. So a lot of research is kind of edging towards, well, of course, we, we've changed a lot. Parenting has changed a lot over time, right? And I think consequences is one of those situations where it's really important to make sure we kind of start that conversation with the fact that um, there's no judgment, right? When we're sitting in a room talking about what um, you need to do or what you should, I shouldn't say need, what you should do in a certain situation, um, if you didn't react like that previously, there's no judgment on that, right? Um, people used to think that spanking was a proper way to deal with situations, right? And we've, we've since learned that that is not the case. And, and for the most part, it does cause more difficulty and challenge in the future than it does actually help, right? When we look at something like spanking, People used to think that that was the best way to like teach your kid not to do something. And in the short term, spanking is efficient. Fear is efficient as a short term punishment, right? Um, but it typically doesn't teach the the uh, lesson that you want it to, right? It just teaches the child to fear 
either a person or a particular outcome for a behavior. Um, And it's not really teaching them anything beyond. So from a gentle parenting perspective, when we look at consequences, we want to consider what are like logical or natural consequences to something that's happening. So um, again, maybe this is not always 100% going to be the easiest thing to do, right? It's going to be really easy to think, okay, I'm just going to take their phone away for the week or they can't watch TV for the next two days. But oftentimes those consequences just make them angry at you and they make them, you know, resentful for the situation, but it doesn't really teach them why they shouldn't do that same action or have that same behavior again. Right. Um, so I, again, I'm, I love examples. Um, so a perfect example of a natural consequence, you've asked your teenage, we'll go with teenage because we kind of talked about more adult children, right? You've asked your teenage child to, or let's say just teen, cause they probably don't like being re- called a child, right? Um, So you've asked your teenage youth to do the dishes. It's their job to do the dishes on Tuesday night um, or every night, however you want to do it. Their job to do the dishes and they didn't do them. And so your first knee jerk reaction is to be like, okay, well, I need to punish them. And I'm either going to, you know, give them a dressing down in terms of talking to them about responsibilities and all that stuff, right? Which, you know, could could help. Talking is good. Communication is good. Um, you just have to be careful the way you go about it because oftentimes they just tune you out if it starts to get a little, uh, if they feel they need to be defensive, right? Um, for me, the first thing that would logically jump to my mind is, okay, you didn't do the dishes tonight. That means there's twice as many for you to do tomorrow night, right? Because if you're living in the real world, there's no magical like dish fairy, aka mom, who's going to sweep in and do them because they need to get done, right? You're living on your own. You don't do the dishes on Tuesday. Guess what? There's twice as many dishes on Wednesday. And maybe that pan you need is still dirty, which is going to, you know, take you five extra minutes to wash now to then make dirty immediately. Right. So things like that teach them life skills and life lessons in a way that doesn't create that kind of animosity between you two. Right. Um, It's another that's another really um, big tenant that's kind of coming up with gentle parenting as well is the idea of timeouts as a punishment. Um, the research is really showing that timeouts don't really work. Timeouts teach our children that when they're having big emotions and they're having big feelings and they have difficult things that they're experiencing, their job is to go and figure that out by themselves, right? So they have to not only uh, regulate their emotions by themselves, but then they also have to try to find a solution to that problem because. Oftentimes we're just sending them to the corner or we're sending them to their room to sit alone by themselves. Um, the ability for a child to self-regulate their emotion, ability to regulate emotion as a human being doesn't actually start to develop, begin to develop until a child reaches the age of four. So um, it begins, it begins. There's like a little glimmer of maybe this is what emotional regulation is in impulse control, right? They kind of go hand in hand. Um, that doesn't begin developing until they're about four years old. And it doesn't actually finish developing, which again is questionable, but uh, <laughs> because it can change, right? Um, but it doesn't typically finish developing until you're in your mid-20s. To put it in perspective, in terms of how to deal with those impulsive thoughts and behaviors, as well as how to regulate our emotions in a healthy way, right? So when we send our child to the corner or to their room to sit, first of all, we're asking them to regulate emotions that they might not actually be able to do. And what happens there is our brain 
Um, they don't just like magically, oh, okay, I've learned to regulate my emotions at, you know, four years old. It's a process. Um, but certainly when you send them to their room, they don't calm down necessarily because they've learned a proper coping tool to do that or learned an effective way to do that. Um, usually they've just kind of maxed out on what they can tolerate in terms of big emotion. And then their brain kind of just like shuts down, right? So we're stepping into, you know, mild disassociation or just like tuning out a lot of things, right? Um, and oftentimes that means that they don't understand the the emotion they were experiencing, And then they also don't know how to communicate it. Um, And so, you know, that's a big part of it. They don't know how to self-regulate. So they're they're just becoming exhausted. Their brain's becoming exhausted. Um, And so they're not learning those proper techniques or, you know, healthy ways to deal with those emotions. Um, And hand in hand with that is we were also teaching our children that when you have a big emotion or you have this big problem that you need to deal with, you need to figure it out by yourself. Um, it's a trap that, you know, a lot of people fall into. And then the consequence of that being when their child is a teenager and they're going through something, they're not going to come to you, right? Their first instinct is not going to come to you and talk to you. And how often have you had a child who becomes a teen and you're like, okay, what's going on? And they're like, nothing. I'll just figure it out myself. Right. Or they, they push you away. Because, and again, this is not something that people have done with malicious intent. It's a, it's an unintended consequence of what a timeout might look like or being sent to your might look like. But you've essentially taught them that they need to solve their problems on their own and they can't rely on you to talk about things. Um, so that, to kind of tie that all together, is why those natural consequences are more important, I guess, and more helpful in those situations, because then you're also taking away the chance that you might teach them not to come to you when they need to, right? Um, There are going to be times when nothing else is working and you need to sit them down, right? You need a timeout. So the other thing, the flip side of that is, okay, what do I do if I can't give them a timeout? Kids like losing it. They're super over, um, you know, my child is overstimulated and maybe they're hitting their sibling or a friend, or, you know, you're at a place where you just need to remove them from that situation. And the first thing you think of is like, okay, I'm going to give them a timeout. So instead of a timeout, we like to do what's called a time in. So it's the same in that you can remove them from the situation that they're in. So um, hypothetical situation is your child is overstimulated. So you need to take them away from the TV because they're kind of hitting you, whatever it is, right? Having a big emotion. So you're going to take them and maybe you'll go sit in their room with them. So the important part is the time in is that you hold space for them. So as the parent, you are in the room with them. You don't have to talk to them, right? You can put them in the room and you can let them have that big emotion, experience that big emotion, right? But you sit in that room and you hold space for them. And you, you know, as they start to calm down, you can validate their feelings, right? You can name the feeling that they're having. You know, I know you're feeling really frustrated right now. Um, maybe their Legos weren't fitting together or their brother, right? It's like their brother was playing with a toy that they wanted to play and that's why they got really upset and they hit him. Um, you know, I'm, I know you're feeling really frustrated that your brother had his turn with the toy and you wanted your turn with the toy, but we, we can't hit like, that's not okay. Hands aren't for hitting. Um, but what we can do is maybe ask nicely next time or tell him that, you know, you want to 
share time or come and get mommy and daddy to help with that situation, right? And you'll start to see that child model your behavior. So this is hot ties back into modeling again, too. You're modeling self-regulation in that moment. You're sitting on the floor, you're breathing quietly, you're holding space for them, you're validating their feelings so that they, they know it's okay to feel those feelings, just not the behavior that they paired with it, right? And then you can talk about stuff. Talk about what to do in that situation. Talk about, you know, what they could have done before they started to feel frustrated. Was there another option? Um, and oftentimes what you'll find, especially with the little, little guys, is they really just want comfort. So after they've started to, you know, regulate a little bit watching you and the, and the tears start to come, you know, stop a little bit and their breathing starts to relax a little bit, they're likely going to crawl into your lap and just need a hug, Right. And then you're able to offer them that comfort and you're reestablishing that connection with them. You are um, facilitating that, that um, comfort with them, which is going to kind of carry on into adulthood as well. Um, and then you're teaching them all of those really awesome skills of communicating, problem solving, all of that kind of tied in into one. Um, so <laughs> when we look at consequences, those are the kinds of things we want to edge towards Again, nobody's perfect. There are going to be times where you yell and scream and slam a door. There are going to be times where you're like, I just need a minute. And you put them in a room, right? Or in a corner because you need to breathe. And that's okay. You just need to find ways to kind of reconnect after that and maybe discuss how that maybe wasn't the best thing that mommy could have done. Or, you know, mommy wasn't regulating really well and she didn't show you how to do that super well. So just talking to them about stuff like that. It's difficult. It's difficult to get creative sometimes with uh, consequences when it's really easy to just be like, okay, no phone for a week. You then have to kind of look at, okay, what, what am I trying to teach them? What lesson am I trying to teach? Does this consequence match what they did in terms of teaching that lesson? Um, so sometimes gentle parenting can be really difficult in that sense, right? Because uh, again, it's kind of on you as the parent or the caregiver um, to find those creative ways of creating the consequences that match the behavior or the action that they did, which hopefully somewhat answers your question without raising a million more. <laughs> no, that's amazing. All I can think okay. is I want to do it over again. When yes. my kids were little, it was the permissive parenting and you, you, you know, let them do whatever they wanted to do. And yeah. yeah. And you know what though? Your kids are probably growing up to be super well-adjusted, lovely human beings. And I think that is sometimes the danger that we get into a little bit when we talk about gentle parenting is that oftentimes for the, the generation before. So I see it even when I talk to my parents, you know, I always preface everything I say with, this is not a criticism upon what you have done, right? You did not fail as parents because you did not use gentle parenting or because you sent me to my room a couple of times, right? Um, it's more of, I recognize the things in say like their parenting or in the case for people who have older children, I recognize the things in my own parenting that maybe weren't as effective, but I can see how it would be different now. You can't change what you've already done. And like I said, your children are probably lovely human beings who have no issues, <laughs> right? Um, and they had wonderful childhood. So I, I always caution and, and encourage individuals who are, you know, an older, um, who have older children, I should say, that, you know, 
offer yourself some kindness, right? Uh, because you didn't you didn't do anything wrong per se. It's just that the research and the understanding of how things affect our children is more um, advanced now, right? Just like spanking used to be the thing that was everybody thought that was fine. We now know that it's not. Did a lot of people get spanked and grow up to be completely fine? like fully functioning adults in our world? Absolutely. Did some of them have negative consequences because of that? Absolutely. But that doesn't mean that everybody did. Um, And we know better now, right? So the same thing's going to happen with this kind of gentle parenting push where we're going to have people who are going to retrospectively look back and be like, oh, I wish I could have done it all over and I would have done it so different. It doesn't mean you failed. It doesn't mean your children are ruined, right? It just means that we know better now and we will continue to know better as we go, right? What's the next step after gentle parenting? I'm sure that there will be something that we do in gentle parenting that in 10 years from now, we're like, oh, that, okay, I see why that didn't work, right? Um, It's a constant um, evolution of how we learn how our behaviors affect our children as as they kind of grow and then how we can foster that better um, mental health overall in our youth through our parenting. Perfect. Well, I know (laughs) that uh, we first met when you were doing the family program with Nomina, and we also have a youth program as well, but you are a clinical counselor in St. Catharines. Do you want to, for anybody who wants to get in touch with you or wants to know more about what you do? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, yes, I am the clinical lead at our office in St. Catharines. Um, so I am there full time. Um, I have openings all the time with uh, counseling slots and stuff if people are looking to reach out to me. Um, I have a lot of experience with trauma. Um, so a lot of my first um, bit of practice was really with complex trauma. Um, so I find that that is a helpful tool, Um, even for those who haven't experienced complex trauma, um, being able to kind of distinguish some traumatic events in their lives is really super helpful. Um, I've dealt with a lot of youth and adolescents, um, so I've I've been dealing primarily with the, um, like, school age, so end of elementary school into high school, um, some of that transition stuff, although I do work with adults as well. Lots of adults. I don't have a preference. (laughs) Um, uh, if people wanted to contact me, I do have a, um, I like you can find me on the Nomina website. Um, I can also provide my contact information. Maybe we can, I can throw um, that in the description or people can yeah. comment as well too. And I can put exactly in touch with you. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Email is generally the best way to get me. I find it's, um, the most, um, you know, kind of most people are, it's easy to shoot off an email as opposed to take out 10 minutes a phone call, but I absolutely will answer my phone as well. Um, but I'm happy to answer any further questions that people have. Um, they can contact me either making comments or through the email, phone call, whatever it is. Um, I am available. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Victoria. I have a funny feeling we're going to do more videos with you. Cause I know there's Perfect. some stuff that I, we could have gone on for hours. On absolutely. This. <laughs> Mental Health Mavens is brought to you by Namana Integrated Health with community clinics across Canada, where we offer no-charge appointments for those who need a little extra financial support. We also have our Namana Wellness Comprehensive Stay Treatment Facility located in Comox, BC. 
that specializes in complex and treatment-resistant disorders. So thank you, have a great day, and we will see you next week. 